Good morning. <laughs> My name is Cyrus, and I am the lead pastor here. And those of you who were here last week know that uh, when I was growing up, I had a cat. <laughs> and his name was Kitty. Kitty. I have another Kitty story. He was a ferocious cat despite his name, and he would, he was the terror of the North Kildonan suburbs. <laughs> and he was out of the house often, and he, in some ways, grew up on the street, and uh, he was out, often out all night. And one time he actually got into a pretty bad fight, and you know, some gangsters, you know, 50 Cent, Tupac, Eminem, they think they're tough. One morning, Kitty came home with a claw sticking out of his head. They got nothing on Kitty. Sometimes I would hear him fighting in the front yard or somewhere. It was loud screaming of cats fighting. And I was a big kitty supporter, biggest fan. So I'd grab a broom and I would go out and I would try to help him as much as I could. <laughs> so we fought together sometimes. And I fought with kitty quite a bit myself um, at times. But I learned quickly that there was a difference. And I shouldn't get into fights with Kitty when he just got out of a fight with another cat. He had a different attitude at that point. I, I, there was one time when I got into a fight with him and his hair was still standing up from his fight and I never did that again. <laughs> There's a difference. And that's also when I learned to get a broom when I was fighting for him. One day, the city came out with a new bylaw and started handing out cat traps in the community. Kitty was already an older cat by that time. These traps were very humane. They were, they were cages and you know, catch the cat alive kind of thing. But Kitty was an older cat by that time, and as you already know, I was his biggest fan, and I liked my cat, and I liked how ferocious he was, and I liked him staying out all night. But fortunately, so fortunately, uh, I had taken a course in university. Some of you might remember what this course was. Behavior modification. Game on. It was me and Kitty versus the city. I went into the basement and I found something that I hadn't used since I was young, but I had never been able to throw away. It was my squirrel trap. It was an exact replica of the cat traps that they were using in the city, just about half the size. The trap had been useless for me catching squirrels, but maybe now it would be useful. Once I had the trap and I had found it, I needed two more things. I went around the house and I got them some kitty treats 
and a spray bottle with some water. First, I went up into my sister's room. For what I was about to do, it was better that he would associate this with my sister <laughs> than with me. So I didn't want it to be in my room, and it would be even better do it in my sister's room. And I put the trap down, and I set the trap. It's kind of a cage, and at the back there's a platform, and the platform's connected to the front door of the trap with a lever or with a, a big pole. So I carefully set it, got the, cat, got the kitty treats, put the kitty treats on the platform. If he steps on the platform, the door closes. Perfect. It was perfect. And then I went to get Kitty. I found Kitty and I picked him up. He looks so innocent. <laughs> so trusting. <laughs> he had no idea what was coming. I brought him upstairs. I brought him to my sister's room. And I took him to the cage. And I waited. I put him down by the cage. I thought the best case scenario would be that he actually went in the trap himself. But I was a bit impatient. I had that feeling that a young man has when he's about to do something I don't know, somewhat naughty or like not good, but he was allowed to do it. Like it's still a good thing to do. And it's kind of like, I don't know, the closest I could get was when I see Simeon and Anna kind of run under the stairs and make a plan to beat me up or something like that, take me down in our wrestling matches. It's kind of like this. So I was all keyed up, I was tense, I was excited, nervous. So I really didn't give him enough time to actually get into the trap himself and figure this out. He basically got to sniff it a couple times and then I got impatient. And I approached this, the situation like a true scientist, like uh, it was a procedure. I took him and it, and it didn't actually take all that long. I, I put him in the trap, but he didn't fit. And I worried about that for a minute. But then at the end, I thought, maybe it's even better that he doesn't fit. And so I kind of pushed him in as far as he would go. And then I made sure that he could smell and taste the kitty treats. So I took the kitty treats through the cage, and I was putting them up to his nose. And then I did the final step. And I took out the spray bottle. And I sprayed Kitty. <laughs> and I sprayed Kitty. I sprayed him with all of the love in my heart for him. <laughs> he was drenched. And when I couldn't stand it anymore, I let him go and I pulled him out of the, out of the trap and he ran off. It was a while before he ever stepped into that room again. <laughs> and then that night we let him out. And he came back. And then we let him out again the next night. And the next. Kitty was never caught in a trap. Today we're continuing a series on motivation. And last time we had talked about rewards. And when psychologists get into conversation about rewards, it's usually mixed in or followed quickly by a conversation about punishments. 
And punishments is a very technical psychological term, even though it's, it's used obviously broadly and has various feelings associated with it. In psychology, it simply means to do something after a behavior that decreases the behavior before it. So if you were to do something and it decreases the behavior, in the same way that reward is simply to do something after a behavior that increases the behavior before it. In the Christian world, we talk about discipline. And that's what I wanted to talk about today. God motivates us with rewards. Covered that last time. God also motivates us with discipline. This is a touchy topic. So I hope you'll have grace for me. Because even though it's a touchy topic in the Christian world, and we come up with nice words for it like discipline rather than punishments, it's a huge topic in the Bible. It's a huge topic in the Bible. I can hardly, if I was to randomly open up the Old Testament, I would challenge you, unless you're kind of aiming for something, I would challenge you to open it up and not find discipline on the page. Not find warnings about discipline, actual discipline or punishments. Something that's designed to decrease behavior. And it's God who's doing it. In the New Testament, obviously the format's a little bit different. In the Old Testament you get these sweeping stories that cover long periods of time, hundreds of years. And, I believe, because God is long-suffering, when you sweep, get long sweeping stories, you start to see more of the discipline of God in those stories because he's long-suffering, so it takes a while. In the New Testament, you see a very short, shortened period of time. And so it's a bit harder to identify the discipline of God in the New Testament in the same way. Like, if you open up randomly in the New Testament, you might not come across a page that has discipline on it. But it's very much there, and I would argue potentially even more severely there in the New Testament than in the Old, particularly if you include Revelation. I'll just read you one scripture from the New Testament. I'm not even going to read you one from the Old Testament because you can randomly open to find that. Hebrews 12, 3. I'll just read you a portion. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's a blessing, God's discipline. It's a blessing. When I was in graduate school, I was fascinated with punishment. I was a young man. Punishment. There were rumors that one of the professors in one of their research experiments had even used a cattle prod. This was scandalous. I've never been able to confirm it, but it sure got me curious. What are these psychologists doing in their labs that needs a cattle prod?
Oftentimes, punishment would come up and you know, talk about behavior modification with humans in certain situations, extreme situations. And when I'm talking about punishments, I'm not just talking about corporal punishment, like physical punishment. There's a broad range of punishments that you can do. Last time we were talking about needs and how anytime you kind of meet somebody's need, that's a pretty you know, basic definition of a reward. In punishment, you could say the opposite. You, know, if you could look at needs, and if you took away somebody's need, you could call that a reward. Need to be comfortable. Well, there you go. Corporal punishment is the taking away of being comfortable or uh, being in a good, just right state physiologically. With human, I mean, with rats, they were doing punishments of all kinds. With humans, it sometimes did come up when we were when they were talking about people who had intellectual disabilities. It used to be called mental retardation. And with these individuals, they would sometimes harm themselves. And there was no reasoning with them. You couldn't talk them out of it or explain it. You couldn't put them in a talk therapy. They couldn't communicate. And you could sometimes even put protective things on them, like helmets, and they would still be hitting their heads so hard that it was causing them damage, concussions, and maybe eventually death. They would try various things with these people, rewards and every technique that they could think of, and still, they were in these situations where these people were potentially killing themselves with these repetitive behaviors. And that's when punishments would come into the conversation. What do we do? We, have to, we can't just let this person kill themselves. Maybe if we give them a punishment, when they do their headbanging or whatever, they'll stop. And so then you started to see experiments with people trying to save these people's lives with something horrible these punishments that they would give. Sometimes, I mean, they talked about, you know, almost pepper spray, you know, like these horrible punishments, but they were designed to save a life. So they'd have these labs and they would do these punishments and they discovered certain things, certain principles that I knew after and became part of my punishment technique. Anyway, that's the next story. What they learned was that you had to do punishments consistently, 100% of the time. With rewards, it was better if they were random, like a casino. Then they were powerful, they last a long time. We know how challenging it can be with gambling to get away from that machine. And they do that based on these other various kinds of experiments. But with punishments, it's different. You have to do it every time that you see the bad behavior. So you needed constant supervision. And the physical, mental stamina and fortitude to in apply the punishment immediately every single time. Second thing was that punishments worked better when you went to the maximum dose of punishment immediately. It wasn't good to get the person used to the mild punishment and then give the maximum. It wasn't as effective because our bodies habituate to punishments. The first electric shock is like, whoa! Second one is like, well, it's not pleasant, but you're not as shocked. It's not as upsetting. So, shock and awe. The war, you know, this is where they get this from. Shock and awe, you know. If we gradually increase the bombing, we're going to have to do more bombing. If we do shock and awe, we can initiate more behavior change, even on a company level, or sorry, a country level. At least that's the theory. And in the lab, it works. Maximum intensity, 100% application, supervision all the time. 
These were the principles in my head when I went to become a camp counselor. <laughs> Sometimes when I was a camp counselor, I got a little bit desperate. 10 kids in a cabin, 23 hours a day, six days a week, eight weeks. Usually too with behavioral problems, often off their medication for the time they went to camp. <laughs> That's when I learned about medication vacations. But I had taken a class, behavior modification. Those kids didn't know what they were in for. Maximum consequences immediately. 100% constant supervision. Full consequences for every behavior out of line. I was pleasant. The kids would come. I would smile congenially, show them where their bunk was. And then the parents would leave. <laughs> Since my time at camp, I worked in a few different prisons. I worked in a regional psychiatric center, which was a prison in Saskatchewan, and I worked in Stony Mountain Prison medium, maximum prisons. Stony Mountain had nothing on me. The kids in my cabin were doing hard time. <laughs> kids were crying. But that was a necessary part of the system. I had full control. I had Right when parents left, I would line them up and I would give them the speech. It wasn't pretty. Usually by the end of the speech, one child had already decided to test me. Maximum punishment. I had full control usually for the first day. Pretty good control for the second. And then the system would start to break down on me. They would rebel. I would lose complete control of my cabin. Some of those kids seem to have it as their mission to make my life horrible. And it was working. 23 hours a day. I was desperate. The only thing I could think of, I needed to come up with a better speech. I needed to find better punishments. I was even more desperate. But even with my better speech the next time, more immediate, more supervision, it happened week after week. I usually wouldn't make it through the summer. I had to go home with some kind of illness that would strike me down. <laughs> some am amazing stress response would take me out. I did learn to be a good counselor. 
just to let you know that. <laughs> and I didn't do anything unethical. Well, I didn't do anything against camp regulation. Oh. <laughs> Through this experience, I learned something that people have been learning now more and more. Punishments work in a lab, and there are certain principles you can learn in a lab, but punishments in isolation don't work. They don't work, not continually. Eventually, the punishments wane, and there's some research showing that people get even more interested in the behavior that you punished. There was, oh, get that. But okay, so there's punishments on their own. The isolation doesn't work. Not for long-term behavior. Exodus 34. The Lord passes before Moses, and he says a few things about himself. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will know by, by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquity of the father on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation? You can get caught up on that end part because he does, he's a God of justice and we're threat oriented so we tend to focus on that part. But the majority of this is actually about his patience, his mercy, and his continual blessing for people for generations. If I was going to be training somebody to use punishments, I would want them to have those qualities first. If you're going to manage punishments, the first thing that you need is mercy. Slow to anger, long-suffering. If you look at how God punishes, we, again, we, we're threat-oriented, so we focus on the times when he actually does punish nations, punishes us, punishes people in the Bible. But if you actually consider all of the time and all of the times he could punish, you begin to be amazed at how little he actually does it. God waited generations before the flood. God's waiting generations before the end times. God gave Israel chance after chance before sending them into exile. Imagine if you got blasted by God, taken out, every time you sinned. Imagine if there was a punishment button in God's hand, and he was acting like me and those counselors. You wouldn't even have time to repent. We ignore the years of mercy. Another problem, we take the years of mercy as signs of approval for our behavior. You have to remember, his lack of discipline doesn't mean that you're doing everything perfectly. 
you have to remember that our God is extremely merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love. So in everyday terms, the first principle of my more balanced later life principles of punishment, if you're going to use punishments or if you're dealing with negative behaviors that you want to reduce, the first thing that you need to be doing most of the time is ignore it. If a parent came to me and said, what do I do about Johnny's bad behavior? I would say, have you tried ignoring it? This is the main and the plain. I see so many mistakes as I go through my day. And I almost comment on none of them. And the majority of them go away on their own. Mercy. And it can be hard when you think about having mercy on other people and their negative behaviors. But I don't want you just to apply it to other people. I want you to apply it to yourself. Sometimes if you're thinking about other people, it can be like, okay, I'll have mercy on them. I walk into my office and the radio's still on. I walk in another day. The alarm wasn't set. I walk in another day. The door was unlocked. Mercy. I'm going to see if it happens again tomorrow. If it's a one-off, I'll just ignore it. I don't have to have a difficult conversation. I don't have to apply punishment. And it goes away on its own. They didn't want to make a mistake. They just did. Maybe they were busy. So a lot of people could wrap their heads around that. But often, when you think about punishment, and consistent 100% punishment every time, the mo aside from me in my cabin, one of the most frequent times we actually see that is when you're giving yourself punishments. The talk in your head, the way you speak to yourself when you make a mistake. Now there's scripture verses about catch the little foxes, take care of those little things in your life. And I don't want you to hear me wrong here. I think it, the little things that you do are, in some ways, a big deal. God wants us to be perfect. So when I say have mercy on yourself, I'm not saying that in order for you to sin more or to have more little foxes in your life. I'm saying that because mercy is one of the best behavior change methods that you can have. And it's the one that the Lord uses with individuals and countries and everybody the most. He has mercy on them. He gives them time. He gives them time to repent. So I want you to have mercy on yourself. I want you to love yourself. Be kind to yourself. Be long-suffering with yourself. If God puts his finger on something, and even if he doesn't, if you feel you need to do actions, don't, you know, go for it. And I, I really want you to encourage facing the issues. In fact, I want you to go to war against the things in your life. But I don't want you to apply maximum punishment, 100% supervision to yourself. Have mercy. The second rule of punishment 
is that it doesn't work very well. It doesn't generalize. If I was to teach somebody using punishments to do a certain behavior, put the cup away, otherwise electric shock. They will put the cup away, usually immediately. They might not put the plate away. They might not put the cutlery away or the glass away. They might not wipe the table or the floor. And when I'm out of the room, they probably won't put the cup away. In fact, they might break the cup. <laughs> it doesn't generalize to other learning. You have to apply it to everything. You don't change an attitude, you just make the person afraid of you. They're not learning to put the cup away, they're learning to avoid the electric shock. The negative comment, the disapproval. Doesn't generalize, it doesn't work when you're not looking. It causes, especially, well, especially maybe corporal punishment, physical punishment, but they've actually done research to show that if you yell at somebody, they have the same brain process as if you were to hit them. It causes depression. It causes anxiety. It causes mental health problems, substance use. 100% punishment, 100% of the time, causes harm. And it causes problems in relationships. They're not going to like you anymore. You're not going to like yourself anymore if you punish yourself all the time. It breaks relationships. There's one place that I know of where it's 100% punishment, 100% of the time, maximum punishment, and that's hell. And hell is not a place designed for behavior modification. And hell is a place, I want to do a whole sermon on it at some point, but when a person, I believe, is put into a place where they're receiving maximum punishment 100% of the time, it doesn't pr produce repentance. It just increases the rebellion already in their heart. It produces all of these effects mental health problems, and anger. Sometimes wonder, why doesn't God allow people to repent in hell? I don't think anybody will. If you ask psychology, they would say, that's not going to be, he, they're not going to be happy about God at that point. They already weren't, and now they've, they're going deeper into their choice. It's not about changing behavior. I don't recommend it. So, God uses punishments. And if I talk to a parent, and I often do, tell them to use punishments not at all or less, I get a reaction. Sometimes a strong reaction. We're not okay with God using punishments, but don't tell me not to use them. I need them. So when do we use them? 
They're great for getting a person to turn. I shouldn't say it that way. They're a great last resort for getting a person to turn. They're not the first choice, but they are a choice. Once the person has turned, they're not great for maintaining that behavior. Once you get the person to, to put the cup away, you gotta figure something else out because now you need to maintain that over time and punishments need to be applied 100% of the time with constant supervision. You need something else in the system for that to work. You need to add rewards, relationship, modeling, something else to maintain that behavior. How could God be so mean as to apply a punishment to me? We get angry at God when he disciplines us. And when I think about God disciplining me, I think about Kitty, which is why I told that story. That story actually comes to mind for me as I go through my day or life, and I feel like something's happening to me that might be restricting me taking me away from my needs, what I think I need, what I want in that moment. And I think about how I never got a thank you from Kitty that day. <laughs> he never really understood. And I think about how, from his perspective, I was probably mean. I was probably that crazy kid that I need to manage and avoid and be afraid of because it was so horrible being put in a cage but what he didn't know was I was actually trying to keep him out of that cage I gave him a small minuscule taste of something that I wanted him to never experience him being in a cage for a few minutes getting a bath is nothing compared to him being in a strange cage in a truck being put down. We never did get him a collar. We probably should have done that too. Oh, I remember he always took them off. I punished him with all the love I had. And sometimes I see parents who love their children too much to discipline them. I don't want any of you to ever be trapped. I want God to work with you so that you can walk with authority through your community I want you to walk with freedom. My punishments with Kitty worked because if I had put him in a lab and I had only a cage sitting next to him for days, he would have gone back to that cage even after all of that. But he was in a system with rewards all around him. He had birds, he had mice, he could come home to get food. This was a very small piece in a larger picture and that's what it is for us. There are points where God will punish us 
But the main and the plain is that he is our great reward. We turn, and when we turn away because of the punishment, we're face to face with a glorious God. And when he punishes us, and when he does it himself, what I hear is, you know, come at me. You're going to wrestle with me. Like how I wrestle with my son. I don't want my son wrestling with some stranger on the street. I'm going to be the one to wrestle with him. Because I have his best in mind. And God's saying, you wrestle with me, big guy. Because I'm going to do it in a loving way. My wrestling is a gentle breeze compared to if I unleash the full consequences of your behavior on you. So he stands in front of us. He's against the proud. He says, come, let's go. I can't let you keep going this way. And it's going to be a lot less painful if I'm the one wrestling with you. Lord, your punishments and your love are not in conflict. And my prayer for myself and my prayer for this congregation is that we get such a clear picture of your punishments, of your discipline, that we can, with all of our hearts, say, Lord, discipline me with all of your love. Discipline me. Don't leave me alone in whatever I'm doing. Discipline me. Turn me so that I don't have to walk in what's unpleasing to you anymore.